it's all about that process and all about how do I replicate that at training and continually replicate that at training and continue to build on it at training to the point where it does become automatic and you do go blank and kind of get into that flow and let, let it happen in front of you and, and kind of let your mind almost take the handbrake off and just let the car go. <laughs> Welcome back to Social Kick. I'm Brian Lundquist. We got a full crew, Dr. John Mullen, Luke Paddington, and joining us between big meets, the Olympic champ, the world champ, the world record holder in the 200 breaststroke, Zach Stubbledy Cook. Welcome, Zach. Good to see you. Thank you, guys. Thanks, guys, for having me. Well, when does it get boring, that long intro? When does it get boring? Like, <laughs> world champ, world record holder, the Olympic champion. Like... <laughs> oh, yeah, it feels pretty strange. I mean, the last 12 months has been an absolute whirlwind. The, like, to be Olympic champion was one thing, but then to break a world record earlier this year, I was over the moon and still in quite disbelief. Like, I think, I feel like I was saying to someone the other day, I was like, I still feel like tomorrow I could wake up and it'll all be a dream. Like, <laughs> so yeah, it's all a bit strange. <laughs> Do you think about the fact that if you swam like 20, 30 years ago, your retirement would be like the next thing because you've already achieved everything and there's no pro swimming. And yeah, I assume that's not what you're thinking, but like, that's what the guys of, of that era and gals of that era were thinking, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's been a strange thing. I think like that was the first question I got asked after I broke the world record was like, Oh, can you swim past? I was like, oh, come on, like, <laughs> surely, surely there's a better question than that. But um, I was like, you know, I don't think I've swum my in, in inverted commas perfect race um and that's i guess what ultimately i'm always pursuing is just the best out of myself um regardless of whether that means olympic gold or fourth or fifth it's it's getting the best out of myself each and every day and trying to translate that into racing did you have some specific goal times coming in and like to that point uh obviously i think that's sort of natural of elite athletes is looking at their events and never truly being satisfied i think it's rare occasions where you finish a race and go okay like yeah i'm really happy with that i exceeded the goal time etc but is like give us some insight is did you hit it uh was there for this season uh yeah i think so like for me i think if i'm perfectly honest i think 206.0 or better i thought we'd win last year i thought it would be a, a little bit faster than it was mm -hmm. um and I think for me, I'd probably been swimming like that for a little while and didn't know where I was going to land. And I don't think we really think in goal times and more think of just getting through, I guess, my my focus for the last 12 months has really been skill and trying to be as efficient in through those skills as possible um, and then maintaining the swimming speed whilst lowering the skill times. Um, interestingly enough, the the skill times were slower in the world record than they were at Olympics and Olympic trials last year. But um, for me, that's, I think like, it's hard to say because I think like it was in the realm of possibilities, but by the same token, I'm not really, I guess, focused on an exact time. I think that's not how we're working at the moment is more like we're looking towards how do we get the back end faster? How do we get this faster? How do we do that? How do we break down the race and put it all back together? And I think, the end of this year, I think that's what we're really focusing on is kind of pulling apart that whole race. And I guess now, like, we've been focusing on a few different people's race plans for the last, you know, three years of my training life. Now it's like, okay, well, how do we 
now change the game and push it even further. I think that's a really, for me, liberating and very exciting position to be in because I think I never thought I would actually get to this position where I'm like, okay, well, like, how do we, you know, go even faster than 2059? So yeah, yeah. for me, that's, it's a strange thing to think about and a probably long-winded answer of like, did I think I was going to hit it in this season? But I think like for me, I think it was always there, but I didn't know it was going to happen then and there. And I think it was just a bit of a perfect storm trials. Like it's like coming off the Olympics, having that lack of pressure because of that. And then only having a few of us in the race that were like quite good. And Matt probably swimming the way he did helped me a lot through that race. Um, but for me, I was really comfortable and comfortable enough to, you know, not be afraid to push the middle hundred. Um, and I think that's something I didn't necessarily do at Worlds, but we might get to that. Um, yeah, so like that middle hundred for me is quite important um, and something that, you know, that's probably where I didn't have much fear at trials. Zach, John, Brian and I are very experienced 200 breaststrokers. When we, were seven, <laughs> when we were seven, eight years old, we were all over 200 breaststroke, right? And then we realized our skill set. My point, I want to ask you, how do you know how you're doing? How does Zach know you how you're doing in within the race? Sometimes you're eighth at the 100. Sometimes you're fourth at the 100. Sometimes you're four <laughs> seconds ahead of, of the former world record holder. Some, I mean, are you, you have a quote saying you, you didn't know your own world record pace until the last 50. Are you seeing the scoreboard? Are you doing on the clock looking like, how, how do you know where you're doing, how you're doing within the race? And, and is that affecting your race in terms of making in-race adjustments? Um, to some degree, I think like, obviously at like a world championships and Olympics, you're probably more racing, I guess. Right. It's probably the easiest term to use. Um, you're not necessarily what like racing a clock um, to a degree, I guess, is probably the way to put it. But yeah, like, so for example, like Worlds and Olympics was definitely more keeping in touch with those, those front guys and making sure I wasn't too far behind or too getting too excited and burning myself too early and sticking to my strengths, mm. um, which is that like probably last 75 meters where it's really sets it up. Um, so for me, that's like really important to know where I'm at, I guess, at the 100 and know where I'm at at the 150. Um, but like, in saying that a lot of the best races, like you don't remember anything, like it's yeah. just pure, like blank, like the Olympics. I can, I was really present in the marshalling room, which I'm like so happy I was, but then into the, and then onto pool deck, I can distinctly remember like standing on the block, but you know, I can remember kind of turning on the last wall, but then like touching the wall, it was like from there until I got like back to the village is like just a whirlwind of emotions and just like nearly blank. like. It's um, quite overwhelming because it's full of emotions. Um, but yeah, to your point, I guess like where I am in the race is like, it's, it's hard to know because like at Worlds, for example, I probably didn't think I was that far behind. I thought I was probably a little bit more in front, but you are aware, but you're more aware probably just on the turns. Um, yeah, That's where, that's the only time I can really see where I'm at. Um, and occasionally, like, yeah, you can hear the crowd now, but not at the Olympics. Like, you could hear no one. Um, but, yeah, at Worlds, I could definitely hear people. And at Trials, I could definitely 
like I knew I was swimming fast because I could hear, you know, the stadium started to get alive. Um, so yeah, like, but for me, yeah, it's all about structure. And I like, you know, like a lot of the swimmers you probably talk to, it's like, it's all about that process and all about how do I replicate that at training and continually replicate that at training and continue to build on it at training to the point where it does become automatic and you do go blank and kind of get into that flow and let, let it happen in front of you and, and kind of let your mind almost take the handbrake off and just let the car go. <laughs> yeah. The 200 breast is a, a great event right now where there's a bunch of great athletes from all over the world, right around that world record mark that you have here that have a variety of race strategies. Hence why you're, you know, at different places at the race and at the 50 and the hundred and things like that. You mentioned at these bigger competitions, just kind of racing, letting the hand break off. How aware are you of other elite breaststrokers kind of race strategies? And does that influence kind of what you're doing at those bigger meets when you are just trying to race? Um, yeah, definitely influences it. Um, I guess probably the strategy often becomes don't panic. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> is, is probably the easiest way to put it. Like for me, probably the Olympics looking back is like Arno was the biggest one. I was like, I have no idea what he's going to do. Um, mm -hmm. I kind of knew Chilcoff's race plan. I knew, um, Matheson's kind of race plan based on the two races. But at the end of the day, like you only have your lane and you can only control what you're doing. Um, I knew that Arno either would go out really fast or come back really fast. It was one or the other. It wasn't both. <laughs> yeah, that's um, too <laughs> yeah. And I knew Chupkoff, like, would go, come back quite fast, but, I like, he didn't look quite on in the semi, so I wasn't sure where he would stand. And, um, you know, hats off to him. He's coming back pretty well. Like, he went to a 7-1 on the weekend. Mm -hmm. I think on Friday, um, which is good. You know, it's good to see him back in the pool and it's, it'll be exciting to race hopefully in the coming years. Um, but yeah, like it is a really exciting event. It's um, something that I, I really enjoy racing at a high level um, because of that difference and because everyone's got a bit of a different strategy and it, it does become a little bit tactical, I guess. Like, And I guess it is becoming more and more tactical is generally across the sport like i know the 400 free was quite interesting to watch and even the 200 free at world champs was really cool to watch because i know like large just watching him drop a gear you know in that last in that third hundred it was like well like <laughs> everyone was a bit taken back i think like he took it out so well and then just like started like didn't build through the second hundred but i think that's something he'll work on and but he really did drop the drop the hammer in that last hundred in that last and then in that you know, what the 350 mark, he really just kind of turned it on again. And it was really cool to watch that swim. Um, so yeah, like I think the sport is becoming more tactical in general, but it is always fun to race. Like, and I am aware, but at the end of the day, like I can't control what they're going to do. It's just about my process and getting the best out of myself. Do you think um, oftentimes, I feel like we see this more in track and field, but it seems there are certain events in swimming that are starting to trend this direction where race tactics determine what the finishing times are. And it seems like there's certain events in swimming where like oftentimes in track, you'll see the event that at the championship or the final is not mm -hmm. at world record or world beating pace because everybody's racing each other. And I think the 400 is a good example, foreign free, because 
that that race seems to be about gamesmanship and tactics more so than it is about just like swimming in your own lane and going and you're even saying like yeah sometimes it's helpful to have a rabbit out there and that could be motivating and even though some of your race strategy is to to back half intentionally that's also like it can be a good thing and a boost for you too so like do you think that that's ultimately a good thing for like you know seeing the best performance that each individual can do or like i don't know because like you said the world record at trials right and like there's although there's tons of pressure at aussie trials there are u.s trials there may be slightly less pressure there than maybe at the in the final at, at worlds so or at the olympics so i'm just curious like do you think that that's a good thing uh to race the field or do you think like each individual would be better off if you just like put the blinders on and swim in your own lane and went to your best potential it's a tough one because like there's pros and cons to both right like you start thinking about like yeah putting your blinders on but then you start thinking about like how did you know, how did Chip Kogi break two-hour marathon? Like, yeah, he had a pace clock. So it's things like that where it's like, yeah. And, like, a lot of us kind of talk about the possibility of, like, how fast could you go? How fast could you swim a 400 free, for example, if you had four, like, like you're swimming against a mix, like a team, right? like, as a pace clock. Like, so, but you knew how fast they were going. I guess it, it, it it's a hard one because when you know how fast you're going, um, like if you know this person's typically swims out in this time, like you might follow them out, I guess is the easiest way to put it. Like that becomes a bit more of a tactic. And I think that's where it could be more of a progression in the sport. Um, but it is like not necessarily a good thing, but it's probably good for the spectator to also have that tactics at a world champs or an Olympic event. Um, at the end of the day, those are, I guess, spectator events. They are high performance events, but, at the end of the day, they're entertainment events too. Um, so it's also like about partly about that for me as well. I think like, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, like you want to get the best out of yourself and the best out of yourself may be to win that race on the day. Well, let's set it up then. Why don't we do this for a 200 <laughs> breaststroke? Let's make it an, you should do this like on the back end of duel in the pool, right? <laughs> Where it's like season's kind of over and there's a spectator spectacle event where you've got some of the breast best breaststrokers in the world are going to pace you like get rid of the lane ropes and then pace you out <laughs> like what do you what do you think you could go what do you think you could go in a 200 breast if you had pacers in front that you could draft off of? i don't know i don't know that pace is in front more like yeah like setting the pace like instead of falling into that like under power state i guess i reckon like yeah it, i don't know what could happen i reckon it'd be more not for me, but I think it would be more exciting to do it like short course turn a breaststroke. Cause I think like people, like there's not as much, I guess, class is probably the most polite way to put it um, in it. There's like quite a few like really high end guys, but then like yeah. the back, like it drops off really quickly. So I think like that would be more interesting. I reckon like you put someone like Kirill or uh, Kirill or Chukov in. And I think like, yeah, you I reckon you could have 156 from them. like comfortably like which would be unbelievable wow. to go like 29 flat for four four fifties basically i would watch that yeah it'd be interesting 
We used, to, we used to do that, by the way. We used to do time trials. So when you moved up in age group, we had to meet at Christmas time right before you moved up. And you want to get all the national records before you moved up. And we would like time trial to get the record and a buddy would then come next to you and rabbit you out. Yeah, it was so <laughs> We did it all the time. This was yeah. before there were rules in Luke's time. There was this, uh, total chaos well, even, and back then. Yeah, Even like your coach isn't technically meant to like be whistling on the side of the pool like oh. technically there's a rule like against pacing but like everyone does it so it's like also yeah. like no. and how can you tell like it's your coach wait really i didn't know this yeah well i think it, it's like at fina events you're not meant to have any coach like walk up and down the pool and whistle and stuff because like technically it's a pace pacer. Oh. what's the craziest breaststroke shout you've heard on deck from a parent <laughs> I had one breaststroke a parent go, squeeze, squeeze. <laughs> um, uh, I don't know. I've never, I've, I don't really take too much notice about like that kind of stuff. But meets. yeah, you, yeah. These Brisbane meets are crazy. I, <laughs> I, I got to remember, Luke, Luke swam breaststroke when you had to have your head above the water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We could just call all the time. Yeah. Well, let's get back to that though. When I did swim breaststroke, so, when, so I'm five foot, I'm five foot eleven. I looked up to Mike Barman. Mike Barman was five yeah. foot eleven. He, he he changed the sport of breaststroke. He held a world record thirteen years. He introduced the undulation, and so I was like, damn, there's hope for me being a short guy in swimming. Obviously, I then became not a breaststroker. Um, and then Kitajima came along, five ten, and then it started to get taller and taller. Hanson, you know, keeps going taller. Then what makes you a good breaststroker at five eleven? What makes what make what it's a silly question, but I think it's deep. What makes you good at breaststroke? Uh, I think my kick is the easiest. Yeah. Simple as that. Like, I have quite a wide range kick. Um, and that's probably why I'm not great at the 100. Like, because I don't have as much upper body strength as, you know, those 100 guys. Um, and not as powerful um, in that regard. Like, I'm more, yeah, I'd love a 400 breaststroke. <laughs> but yeah like that kind of thing so i'm much like i guess have much more length because of that kick um which yeah that, that's that's the simplest way to put it and i think like chilkoff's the same he's a little bit taller than me um but we both share that same length in our stroke um and kid jim was much the same like he was you know the master at it really like right. his stroke is still copied to this day like it's unbelievable. Like I remember watching like a video of him from the front and you, know, you can't see his whole body. You can just see his hands. He's just like, oh, well, that's like the goal. Like that line through the water is, is incredible. Um, but yeah, like that's, that's my strength and stick, try and stick to it. It, it. And your race strategy is reliant on that now, right? Talk about how you, how you mix up your tempo, your stroke counts in the beginning to the end, how you rely on your, your kick to have your distance per stroke yet maintain your speed talk about the kick as a foundation of your particular race strategy to do what you do to come back in a 31 to not panic you know talk about that it's it's very interesting yeah so for me like my race strategy is obviously like the length through the first lap try and be as efficient as possible without being under power um is the easiest way to describe it and then the, se the second and third lap are the kind of build through um and maintain that stroke length and with with the right tempo um i guess anyone that swims knows that like as you 
uh, as you fatigue, you have to increase stroke count and increase tempo to maintain the same speed. Simple as that. Um, and that's why, like, it looks like I'm sprinting on the last lap when realistically it's actually not that much faster. And I'm going up like four or five strokes. So, yeah. So that's probably like the easiest race breakdown. It's just uh, steps, like, as simple as that. And, like, yeah. it was a big thing this season and last season just to try and get. 14 strokes to the first 50, which is a strange feeling. It's so strange. Like, Chukov, when he broke the world record, was 11, which is, like, insane. It looks like he's doing drill. Yeah, yeah. Anyone who hasn't seen that race, it's like, it honestly looks like he's doing, like, one stroke, two kicks to the wall. It's incredible. Um, so, like, for me, it was trying to get my balance of what, what my most efficient with most efficient with the fastest speed possible. I guess it's like that. That's the balancing act um, always in the turn of breaststroke. But, well, for me anyway. So for me, yeah. And to be able to come back with the kick is is, is vitally important. But yeah, for that, for me, that was part of the kind of strategy going into trials was those 14 strokes. So for me, trying to get to the first 50, but that meant a lot more skill stuff, a lot more like start. We broke down the start quite well and we've gotten better at the start not well like not world class in quotation marks but like better um so yeah for me that was that was the biggest thing i had to change but it's a strange feeling like i often do it at the end of sessions just be like oh, all right 14 strokes trying to hit 30 point ish and or better it's rarity if you go under 30 point at 14 like in in training um but it's it's a strange thing because you hit the water and you're like you're not trying to sprint you're trying to like relax but also like swim fast yeah so you're trying to like feel feel the speed from the start and trying to maintain that speed almost like trying to hit like like your stride running almost like i guess is a is another analogy when you hit that like downhill momentum that's what you're trying to feel um and it's a strange strange thing to try and chase and strange thing to try and train um, something I've had difficulty with sometimes and good good other times and trying to find that balancing act and I don't think I've still quite got it yet. So I'm excited to hopefully get it one day. <laughs> how, how painful is that? How does, it affect, how, how does your body react physiologically? What's your lat ticket at the end of a well-executed race? When do you start to feel that burn? Um, probably at the 100, if I'm perfectly honest. Um, at the hundred, you start to, you start to feel you go, oh, this is about to hurt. Um, but at the same time, like the best races, you don't really feel anything, like <laughs> at all. So it's hard to know like what the lactate is because um, we don't really do lactate, say rate post race. Like a lot of the sessions we do lactate, but not really racing. And the sessions aren't that close to racing anyway. Most of the time, most of the time, it's like seven fifty effort, like total. So it's like hard to gauge where that lactate probably is um i'd say after a race it's probably for me floating around 12 12 to 14 um but you know other guys in the race i know that would be well into the 18s so, whoa so seems high yeah. for a two hundred breaststroke yeah but i mean by the end of the race like a lot of those guys are that is their sprint pace like sprint and like yeah. you watch especially a guy like matt like he's a big guy that lactates pretty high 
Um, like he's one of some of his best races, like he comes back in 34, 33. So he's like, he's hurting, like, but his front end is like, you know, he's 134, 133 at the yeah. 150s. Yeah. It's like, I've never, never been through in like, 133. <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah. 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 To your point, it's like when your stroke rate's increasing and you're coming by all these guys in the last 50, it's, it's not the necessarily like you're, I mean, you're going faster than them, but they're kind of going backwards too. Right. <laughs> so yeah. Why. Yeah. And that was like the thing with like, like the same with Phelps and like Lochte, like everyone goes, Oh, their turns were like incredible. It's like, but they just weren't dropping. It's as simple as that. Like their turn speed maintained the whole race and like right. everyone else's decrease everyone else's increase sorry so like their turn differential was like tiny and that's like i guess it's an illusion in swimming that people often don't quite pick up on um but yeah those those two are the best example of it like when you go oh yeah phelps's and lochte's turns like kind of they did 0.1 or 0.2 decrease but like most of the time the differential between was like nothing yeah yeah they're also phenomenal at like in I think well known for not producing a ton of uh, like high lactate numbers and mm. and clearing it really fast too, so they could just turn around and do multiple races one after another. Um, mm. I, you mentioned this earlier, but with regard to your race strategy, the 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 middle hundred, what 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 did you not execute well, or what um, what did you mean by that uh, in terms of the 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 middle hundred at Worlds? Uh, I think the middle hundred at Worlds just wasn't wasn't quite where it needed to be. Like I didn't put the pressure on quickly enough. Um, for me, like after the race, I wasn't super gas and I was like quite disappointed. Well, not disappointed. I don't want to say disappointed. It's probably the wrong word with wrong word with, you know, becoming like my first world championship. Like, yeah, it was just like not the race. I think I could have executed on that day. I think like I was capable of more after the semifinal. Like I think I had more to give. Um, and I was like two or six. So I was like, okay, like we've got more to give. Um, and you know, it was, I think a little flattening, I guess is the, the right word of like that first 50 was okay. Probably slightly under power. And then I just didn't quite build through the way I should have in the middle hundred. And like, I still came back. Okay. But like, it was a bit of a hail Mary that last lap. Um, and like, yeah, they're just the middle hundred. I just didn't set it up to the best of my ability. I think it was just a little bit slow, especially the second 50. And that's something really important is just the rates just dropped too low and was slightly under power. And then, then building from there, like you're only building off that, like already under power. So you're like only at, at, at power, I guess, or at your peak performance, then like at 75 to go. So for me, like that's something really important to me is like, especially going into common games is really working that middle hundred. Um, and, and that's something I know I'm important is really important to me because I know I can consistently come back in 32 in the last lap. So like it's, it's about that middle hundred and maintaining and making sure that middle hundred is correct. We have your splits for your world record, your world championship and your Olympic gold. And yeah, the middle hundred is slow, but not significantly slow. You, you when mm. you did a world record, it's 32 for your second 50. World champs thirty two seven, Olympics was thirty two three. So you know, it was about a point four delta. It is it is. So yeah, what uh okay, I'm gonna convert to the Commonwealth side of the conversation here, Brian and John. So hold on tight, get comfortable. Because I'm from Commonwealth. Calm games are huge for us Commonwealth people. 
huge, right? <laughs> we talk about the importance of the Commonwealth Games to you, Zach. The last one mm. was in your backyard. Was, you know, you go to the beach in Gold Coast all the time when you're growing up. You know, that, that, that was a big thing for you. And they didn't work out as you planned. You got Com Games coming up in the Palms, the, 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 the England. Com Games are in England. And as an Australian, Com Games are huge for you. Mm. Um, you've achieved the trifecta. You've got Com Games coming up. Talk about what, what it means to you to swim in England, swim in the Com Games coming up, and, and how much you've been looking forward to this racing. Yeah, I'm really excited to race. Like, it's very different for me coming into this one. I think my first Com Games, as you said, wasn't my brightest or nicest hour, I guess, but I learned a lot about myself from that race and learned a lot about myself and how to get the best out of myself. Um, and I, I don't think I would be here without having that race there. So for me, to give anyone listening context, I came, I didn't make the final at the last Commonwealth Games. So I was 11th or 12th? No, it was 12th. It was like a 211, 211 or 212, the last Commonwealth Games. Like, not great. And then three months later, I went 7 1 or 7 0. So, like, you know, I was at Pampax. So yeah. <laughs> uh, I was more than capable of swimming well, is kind of what I'm getting at. Like, there was not much change in training or anything like that. It was all mental um for me and that was something i had to learn learn not the nicest of ways like not having success is always not nice thing to have but it is what it is and that's something as simple as you do just need to learn it um you, everyone can tell each other you know don't get caught up in it all and don't buy into it all and don't get too nervous but like at the end of the day most people do have to experience that for themselves um but it gave me a lot more self-awareness of like who I am, how to get the best out of myself and all of the above. Um, so for me, that's a really important probably turning point in my career, um, that race. And and that's probably why I'm so excited about going into this race. Like for me, it's something different. Um, again, Commonwealth Games is quite big. Like probably the two biggest things in swimming in Australia are the Olympics and Commonwealth Games. Sadly, World Champs just doesn't get the same coverage. Um, and same with Pampax. Like, if you said, what, like, who was the last, where was the last Pampax? No one would know. Um, so, yeah, like, even though, even though in the swimming world, probably Pampax and World Champs probably rank like higher quality meets than, than a Com Games um, for some events, not all, but some events. Um, yeah, like, it's, it is, it's a really exciting meet and it's it's different meet. Like it's another village environment. It's another one of those multi-sport events where it is just a little bit different and a little bit um, bigger in that regard and gets a bit more media coverage as well. So for me, it's an exciting race and I'm just looking forward to racing internationally again. Like it's been a big season. We've been in Europe now eight weeks or something along those lines. So yeah, we've been here a while, um, but so I am really excited to race and really looking forward to racing. It's day one, which is always nice because you can kind of line your taper up right for the for your main event. You don't have to worry about that hundred. So yeah, I have that luxury of trials, and it's nice to have that again here. So, what are your goals coming into Commonwealth Games for yourself, and maybe for Team Australia if you guys have talked about that as a team as a whole? Yeah, um, I guess. It, last last year was probably the first year that 
it came through as swimming Australia was like really adamant about a per person first approach rather than performance first approach. And that's something that's carried on into this year, um, which sounds very counterintuitive to performance, but it's not, I guess the easiest way to put it is like, you care about the person first and foremost, and you get the best out of that person and get the unique personality out of that person. You will get the best swimming out of that person. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, you swim fast when you have fun and have fun when you swim fast. <laughs> Isn't also another way to put it. Um, so for us, that's what it's all about as a team. Um, and, you know, making each other better through our values of courage, unity and excellence. So for us, that's what it's all about. For me personally, probably my goal is just to swim faster than world champs. I think that would be a sensible goal. I don't think, I'm not sure where that will be, but that's probably... I guess all I'm going to disclose, like I'd like to swim very fast, but you know, I think I'm also a realist that it's like, we've been, all, we've been away a while. We've got, had some sickness, like all of the above, but I am looking forward to racing and having fun racing, I think is, is a nice way. Like I think world champs is a little bit different because, you know, like I was going in, I'm still going in favorite here, but like going in favorite in a different context off Olympics and with the whole world there. Um, this is probably, although it's like a bigger meet in terms of Australia, it's also like a lower pressure meet, I guess. Um, and something where I can enjoy myself a little bit more, I think, and have fun, but also remain focused and remain focused on the process rather than the outcome. So between 159 and 207 is what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> you're the favorite. We got a lot of money riding on you. So come yeah. on. <laughs> Who in the Commonwealth will swim the 200 breaststroke under 209? 209? There's quite yeah. a few under 209. Yeah. The final will probably be all under 209. No, who? but who in the Commonwealth? I can't think of Ross. A... Ross. James will be. Yeah. I'm not sure what Petey's doing. He he could probably swim he 209. Yeah. Um, but he's, he's foot and ankle. So, and then, so Ross will be, will be. Matt, myself. Gotcha. They're the probably like we've all two or eight or better. What's Trinidad's top two in a breaststroker right now, Luke? You're looking at him. No. Oh god. <laughs> Three forty-five. All right. With fins on. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the proud rich breaststroke history of Trinidad. Give them that model fin. <laughs> well, so I'm just curious about the the multiple meat kind of lineup that you've got here because you know trials was a little bit isolated or earlier in the year and then you had to build up to worlds but worlds was kind of the first chip to fall right so you got worlds six weeks or so commonwealth and then you know dual in the pool to come after is there anything that you guys have you and your coach have, have approached this with um in terms of training to get through three main big meets or <laughs> one meet at a time yeah, well, I made it a time. <laughs> um, yeah, because it's been like, I guess it's hard because it's like our trials this year probably was a little bit different. Um, but we had, because like, we wanted to do Worlds as well, I had to qualify um, for Worlds. So I didn't have an automatic, I had an automatic ticket to Commonwealth Games if I wanted to and just could have just done Com Games like Ariane and Emma have done. So, but for me, like I wanted to do all of it. Like I'm like, why not? Like, young may as well um i don't know how long i could swim for like it all could all end tomorrow kind of thing so 
you may as well just i'm of the opinion you may as well just keep swimming and keep that pressure on as as long as you can and enjoying that pressure um for me that's probably what this year was about like so trials was still like a solid meet and like i think the hardest one was the back up into worlds and then getting sick off the back of worlds was not ideal because we missed probably a week and then it didn't have that long into this this prep and then jewel in the pool when we get back is is short course so well it's is it short course yeah i think it is or it's got some short course it's all different i'm not sure they haven't actually released all the program so yeah yeah anyway so yeah and then we have short course trials no you're the face of it you're supposed to know <laughs> <laughs> uh, i'll be there i'll be there that's i've got <laughs> commerce games to focus on between then and now go, so go, yeah it's it's just been one meet after the other and like just shifting that focus each time trying to reset and refocus and and then polish again um so for me that's what it's all about and i'm looking forward to a break in september um is, yeah. is another is is also another thing so we've been yeah we'll be kind of on the road since june till september yeah. which that's is like it, it's long for swimming it's not long for like other sports like when you start talking in the context of like tennis basketball and golf it's like yeah nothing but yeah. you know for us yeah. it's yeah do you think that there's some things uh and perhaps like this season's some learnings for you too to figure out like what it is to be able to swim fast at each subsequent meet because i don't know i mean the, like isl is pretty exciting with a, a lot of different meets you know pretty quick in a row and that's seems to be what works pretty well for other sports swimming's yet to adopt that who knows if we ever will but like you know regularity of racing and creating fans and stuff it's like you race regularly so i'm just curious if you know when you when you approach a season with several meets in a row like this are there some things training wise some some like particular sets that you go to for pacing that really kind of dial you in and are confidence builders for you whether that's like you know doing stroke rate work or are there some go-to's that are kind of like you can fall back to them and know like okay if i can do this on this sort of set i'm ready to rock yeah yeah absolutely and that's probably every taper like i guess i'm very lucky that i've been with my coach six years now so we have like six years of knowledge of every taper and every time we've done something um it's a lot of data to say the least <laughs> but like i guess we know where we're at given that um but also like there's a caveat to that i guess is like you can't read into it too much because if you read into it too much you write yourself off like it's like a hard balance like yeah. so for me like before worlds even like and even oh before before trials like in the warm like my pace was a little bit off and i was like it's okay like just park it like so it's like a hard thing to know at what point just to like switch off, I guess, and stop reading into that. Like, I guess probably two weeks out, you, you are kind of going, this is where I'm at. This is where I need to be. This is where I need to be pushing. Um, this is what I need to be working on. And then like probably a week in, and then a week in, you're just trying to like, like focus on the execution of skills and execution of stroke count, stroke rate, and then hoping to get the time. And often when, as you guys would know from your swimming and other bits and pieces or talking to other athletes, you do go into like taper holes. So you also got to be like aware of that. So like 
probably this morning after travel day yesterday and then like I had a bit of pace this morning. It was like slightly off. It was good for the first one. And then it was just like slightly off and slightly off. And I was like, this is just like, I'm okay. Like I'm just not feeling the water and just like resetting again. So it's like, it's reading into it, but then understanding the context, I guess. <laughs> right, right. Just blame the pool. It's, it's too new. That's all. <laughs> I got a question well, about the tree. The pool is nice, right? It's a, it's a brand new pool that they just opened just for you guys. I mean, it's amazing. Yeah, so I'm not, I'm not honestly, I'm not sure. Uh, like, okay. uh, like the comp pool, the comp pool. We haven't been to the comp pool. We go there oh, tomorrow, okay. but we went to the training pool at the uni today, and it was, it's nice. It would be nice if it wasn't busy, but yeah, yeah it's like a one and a half meter lanes wide, so like, I can only swim down the middle. Like, <laughs> like so yeah, it's not like that's that's just annoying and that's just what it is it just is what it is and just we'll have to just get used to it but i'm hoping the comp pool is a little different um so yeah but we'll see nice. we'll see tomorrow but you guys have the nicest pools you got beautiful so brisbane has these beautiful 50 meter pools just like in neighborhood backyards like i mean mm. you got, they're fantastic I yeah, get well, yeah my training pool is like i'm so used to it. it's like three meter lanes like wide 13 lanes across and then at one end it's five meters deep so that's the channel outdoor pool. It's so nice. It's my favorite pool. And it has yeah, a ski yeah. ramp now. <laughs> I, got, I got a bone to pick with breaststrokers and warm up since you brought it up because I've thought for years, every every other swimmer hates passing breaststrokers and meat warm ups. <laughs> it is it's the most annoying thing. You know that you're gonna get nailed in the stomach when you go by a breaststroker with as powerful of a kick as yours. Do you think there should be breaststroke only lanes at meets. No, because like, could, could you imagine then breaststroke trying to pass breaststroke? Listen, you guys, you <laughs> do your own thing, okay? You're already weird. <laughs> we had um. So what, we had, I was go ahead. Go, go on, on, Luke. Or Luke, go on. I, I was going to switch gears. Go for it. Yeah, I I was interested about the wide kick and Shimanovich be on the show a few weeks ago and about talking about his narrow kick and, and knocking and I've seen pictures of you Zach with this super wide kick out and keeping that line still so um I, I'm interested to get to know about your kick a bit more I mean the power of it how do you generate the power in your in your particular kick for your event you don't you don't swim shamanic events for instance you know talk about that yeah yeah and I know for me like I need to get better at the 100 to help the 200 um as simple as that um and that will be kind of hopefully the end of this year we'll do a bit of hundred work and we've never really done that so it's kind of an exciting new thing for me um and obviously like that'll be something building into paris more as a puzzle piece this year um so for me like yeah i guess like i've always kicked really wide and had to kind of adjust it actually narrower than probably i kicked as an age grouper um right. It's just a natural thing I had and I was very lucky. And I guess the other thing I think that actually helped me, which a lot of coaches would probably be like, oh, I don't know. But I think like my own personal thing is that I used to get super bad ear infections as a kid and I used to just kick like whole sessions. So I did like 4K kick as like a 12 year old. Wow. So like, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe my theory is that like, yeah, I got very good at kick very young. And then just like maintain that through my old age group. I don't get them as bad anymore, but so my earplugs, one earplugs for the last 12 years. But yeah, so like for me, 
that's probably also part of the reason that I kick so well. And I think like Vince, my coach, also loves kick and kick sets. So yeah, I'm always challenging myself to keep up with the backstroke kickers and stuff like that. So yeah. So right now for your hundred breast, is your kick that much different or just a quicker tempo at the moment? Uh, yeah, it's definitely narrower. I think mm-hmm. like it's more to do with, I guess, if you're looking at a side profile of the kick, where the knee bend or the knee flexion stops mm-hmm. is probably where the differential is. Um, it's definitely narrower. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it is like probably just not as powerful. Like, you know, like I'm not as strong as some of those guys. Like, you know, at the Olympics, I weighed like 72 kilos. I don't know, like some of the other guys would have been well into the 80s. I'm like, it's 10 kilos of like lean mass difference. So like for me, that's something like important for me to like realize and know that like that's another shift and something that does excite me because it is an opportunity and a space for opportunity. Um, So yeah, like that's probably something we'll break down and do some biomechanic work at the end of this year um around that hundred piece when you're doing biomechanical work is it with your coach the australian institute of sport or how is australia currently kind of finding that balance of continuing to improve your guys's mechanics um so we like in queensland so the state we we use a state body so we have basically like qs the queensland academy of sport which is so the ais has kind of basically all institutes within each state um, has like kind of trickled into that. So Queensland Academy of Sport is what we use. And so I have a biomechanic physio, an SNC, SNC or strength and conditioning. And then like my own coach pretty much always like looking at stroke mechanics and how we can get better and prevent injury and all those kind of bits and pieces. Um, so it's like quite, it's I guess gotten to the point where it's quite, um, it's quite a good group always looking at the kick and always looking at the biomechanics. So for me, that's really an important thing and something really, I guess, yeah, important to me that it is is a team and a good collaboration amongst all different skill areas and all different ideas. So, yeah, like that's something I'm excited about and, yeah. I want to ask about your training a bit. So you, I read somewhere, you train with a guy who goes 344 to 403 medal at the Olympics. Is you train a Jack McCarthy. When we swam, we had sprinters mid the distance and then breaststrokers did something on the side. I wasn't too sure what they were doing. <laughs> right. Right. You're kicking along in, in a five meter deep pool. Which is insane. Um, do you enjoy suffering in training? Is that something you live for? And what's it like training with a guy who can swim a mile? You know? Yeah, yeah. I, I really enjoy training, probably more so than racing. And that's something like, but then I had to learn how to enjoy racing, um, which just sounds counterintuitive to most people, right? Like yeah. you don't necessarily enjoy the suffering or enjoy it, but I think it's more rather than suffering, it's enjoying the challenge, yes. enjoying challenging yourself each and every day and trying to get the best out of yourself each and every day and be better than the last. And that's as, as simple as it is. Um, and it was always good to train alongside someone like Jack. And before that, it was Jack and Jess Ashwood as well, who was like 800 freestyler. So you know, like training along those guys. And then like, we had a few 400 IMers as well. And then I had like a sprint breaststroker going into the Olympics as well. Like Liam was my, one of my training partners, Liam Hunter, who was on the Commonwealth Games team in 2018. Um, so it was always fun to like 
race like a training i would i would do aerobic breaststroke and he'd hate it and i'd love it and then like we get the sprint stuff and i'd not love it but he would always beat me in the sprint um so it was always fun to like have those challenges of like where i am uncomfortable they would challenge me um and then it was always great to be able to jump over a couple of lanes and yeah no don't get me wrong like i do train probably more on the lengthier side for a breaststroke um I'm not necessarily training point free. <laughs> right. Like, explain yeah. what you mean by you, you, you train with these guys. Like, do you do the same thing? Yeah, like, well, yeah, occasionally, yeah, yeah. Quite often, like, if I'm, yeah, like, if I'm in a heavy work, like, yeah, we'll be doing similar distances. And if they're doing, like, six sixes, I'll do six threes breast. Like, <laughs> so, like, it's not like, yeah, like, there's things Did like you that. Guys where, miss, like, you guys a 400 breaststroke event? I don't know why this is surprising. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, no. Yeah, yeah, I'd love a, a four. I reckon a 300 breaststroke would be more interesting because, like, you could have it more tactical. Because, like, I feel like whatever you went in the second hundred, like, it would typically be your last hundred. So it would be like who could go out the fastest and hold on <laughs> because, like, everyone's going to be in the same amount of pain at 300. Like, it's just who can who can hold on. Um, well, I think anyway, but. Because a 400 breaststroke is more like mentally challenging than I think a 300. Like it's a 300, you can kind of put yourself on the line and suffer for another minute. Whereas like a 400, you're like suffering for a lot longer. What did you need to go? For four. 300. Three. I've gone 318. Damn. So I went through in 212. I was like, it was a Monday afternoon and I was like, you know what, like, fuck it. I'm just going to send the 200 and see what happens. So I went through in like 112. This is like mid season. And then like turned and went 106. I was like, oh, that's not bad. <laughs> that's so crazy. Breaststroke's one of these events where you get, you always got DQ'd. You got DQ'd for as a kid, as an adult, as a world champion. You always get DQ'd in breaststroke. And the rules have changed. Kid Ajama changed the sport. Um, you know, it, it's really evolving all the time. What's that one evolution you wish you could see? Like you're in practice, like, oh, I wish I didn't have to do that. Like, I wish they changed that backstroke rule where you, you, you know, when you're in a touch, you know, how Reese got DQ and overturned, right? At, at Wills. Mm. Oh, right. What's that yeah. one thing in breaststroke that you could, that you could, you wish could be evolved or improved, you know? One hand turns. One hand turns. <laughs> but in backstroke, one when I saw a backstroke, you had to do bucket turns. I mean, actually, bucket turns. Yeah, wow. bucket that's a throwback. <laughs> your wool suit, you had. Sorry, pantalones. I think is what you guys called it back then. Yeah. But is there something in breaststroke that you could see, like uh, the evolution of this, of, of this, of this, of this uh, stroke? Um. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I mean, you know. I'm not sure. Like, if I'm perfectly honest, I think like breaststroke's one of those strokes where it's got it's it's a bit different in that like it has strict rules, but it also doesn't. Like, we don't have a 15 meter rule. We have one. Like, we have a rule about what you can do, but not in what order as well. So mm. I think like breaststrokes, uh, I I don't see it changing much unless like you do do a one hand turn or you do allow a flip turn like. But even then, like, I don't know how much it would improve it over like a 200 meter event. Um, Because you're talking more about like your in speed and your out speed than the actual turn speed. 
um yeah so i think like for me like i don't i i guess i don't really <laughs> take much thought to that either because i'm like oh well how can i get as fast as i can within the rules like we we, we engage with so yeah I, I don't i probably don't wish beyond what we currently have what you can do do you Go think back do you think it's an issue uh and we've talked to we've talked to shimanovich about this too he's been kind of the center of some controversy with the technique and sort of undulating hip motion but and he's not alone right like at last worlds or somewhere europeans there was like a bunch of dqs in the 50 um emory sachi like what are your thoughts on that technique do you think it's like towing the line within the rules uh yeah or, it is yeah absolutely it is it is because like you watch like Kitajima, for example, like his kick, his finish of his kick is using his hips and like he finishes with like a, almost like a flutter kick, like a fire kick. Yeah. So it, it, to some degree, it's within the line. It's like whether it's intentional or not or whether it's part of the kick, which is difficult right. to distinguish. Right. Um, and that's where I guess it comes into controversy of like whether it is and whether it's intentional into the wall to take a half stroke. That's the other thing. And I think that's where people might argue, oh, yeah, but it's like what they do at training and those kind of things. So it's like, it's a, yeah, it's an interesting one because it is one that I kind of like Mel Marshall, for example, like spoke out about that it's like not great. You know, like she said, it's like just, it's not part of the stroke. It is cheating. And like, so it's like, oh, okay, something like that. But yeah, it is like, it is part of the stroke, but it is, I believe like part of the end of the kick, but how you distinguish that is, you know, up, for, up to FINA to, to determine. Um, and I know they've brought in the underwater footage as well, which is good, I think. And like, you know, Vandenberg as well off the start is another like thing that I think is also a questionable, uh, yeah. It also like, you know, at the end of the day, do you want to be like, cause everyone sees those videos, like, when you win it's like do you want to be known as the guy that cheated also it's like probably not so yeah at the end of the day like yeah it's for me it's about being within the rules but like i do understand where people are trying to push those boundaries and like kitajima for example was one of those people that kind of bent the rules and then created a new rule um exactly. so it is it, it is a hard one i guess and it's something fina needs to work out whether you know, you allow one fly kick into the wall or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. If you were going <laughs> to, that'd be crazy though. It's a crazy thing about Kitajima's legacy in that regard. Like that he, he basically did something that wasn't supposed to be done. And then they said, okay, you can do it. <laughs> yeah. What? I don't know. I'm just curious. Have you ever thought about that for you? Like, what would you do? And then it would henceforth be the, uh, yeah. I don't know. Maybe no pull out, just like no swim on the surface. Dive in and go. Yeah. Zach, no pull out. 300. That's his legacy. Or a 200, 200 meter pool, I reckon. No turn, just a straight line. Zach, I want to ask you some non swimming questions because I, 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 I think it's important to get to know who you are a bit. Um, who, who's, who are you? I, I see you into photography. Are you a Canon guy, a Hasselblad guy? Um, are you a smoker or a griller in your barbecue? And I read about this. Sorry, we did some reading. I mean, who who are you? What, what, what's your love? What keeps you grounded? Being getting past all this swimming nonsense. What keeps you you? Yeah, I think for me, like um, something last year that definitely kept me grounded was like taking photos and enjoying photography again. And 
something that made me enjoy photography was like actually getting back into film, which like I've got like 20 roles here for com games to take photos on film. Yeah. So I got like just a bag of. Uh, oh, so you shoot 35 mil then. So you don't do medium formats. It's 35 mil and you just enjoy that. 35 format. mil film. Yeah. So yeah. I have, well, I have two camera, two or oh, three film cameras with me. Um, a Canon, a Hasselblad, and a Nikon. Nikon, all yeah. three. You know. Oh, don't that's like a to... The Hasselblad yeah. trumps trumps all, don't you think? Come on. I'm yeah, I mean the X. I love my Nikon. Yeah. Yeah, the Nikon is, I think, the one I reach for the most though, because it's an underwater film camera. It's like so fun to use and so so good to, nice. yeah, so good to use and enjoy. Um, but yeah, like beyond the pool, that's something that kept me grounded. Like I asked Mac was my roomie last year at the Olympics, Mac Horton, and I asked him and said, like, oh, what do you wish you did more of, like during the Olympic experience? And he said, remember it. So for me, like that was something really important that I took on board and took lots of photos and made like a little, like basically a photo book from the Olympics and had like all these photos and memories and like reflected on them, like wrote about each one. And that's something that really kept me grounded and made me realize like how special all of these events are to everyone. Um, and then, yep. yeah. And then, yeah, I do love cooking and cooking for other people. That's probably my other love outside of the pool is I enjoy cooking and coffee. Like coffee is definitely something that always travels with me on the road. It's true, um, Aussie. true Aussie. <laughs> coffee snob, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just embracing the full stereotype, yeah. Um, but yeah, like that's something that always travels with me and always is yeah. a bit of a home comfort. Is something like I do every morning. It's like a bit of a mindfulness practice. So it's Good. filter coffee only, so black coffee only, um, and something that like you know takes like ten minutes to do and. It's first thing in the morning and something you just like slow down every time you do it and can't do anything else and just like focused on that and really gets you very mindful and present for that day. Um, and it's something really I enjoy do, doing while I'm racing. Um, but yeah, cooking, I love cooking for the people I love. So I love to, you know, smoke meats and cook bread and all those other fun things in between. So yeah. There's a coffee spot next to the Hilton on George Street in Sydney. And it's out of this world. So next time you go to the to Sydney, go to the coffee spot next door, and they put chocolate on their cappuccinos in Australia, boys. So just heads up, they put chocolate powder. <laughs> yeah, so, chocolate, so, chocolate powder, and they use real exactly. milk, not box milk. There we go. <laughs> I, I have one last question before we jump onto the end section. Is I mean to keep you grounded too is your support and your people. I remember I sat next to Matt Horton's parents at, at Rio when he won and just to see the tears and the support and the love of this whole family there. Um, it was loving. So talk about not just your, your people, the, your family and your friends, but also your sponsors. You are well supported. You've got an agency, you've got, you know, you've got really good sponsors. Talk about some of your support financially and emotionally from the people around you that keep you going to where you are. Yeah. I think like I was very lucky growing up. My mom is definitely like probably my biggest influence since grounded. She's just, at the end of the day, wants just wants me to be happy in whatever I'm doing, and that's as simple as that. And enjoying that. Um, outside of that, I think for me, like I have a really close group of friends, and both in and out of swimming that keep me grounded. I think mm -hmm. like, and and them knowing me as a person first and foremost is is the most important thing to me. And like, at the end of the day, like they find it really cool that you know I'm a world champion, world record holder, and Olympic champion. But at the same time, like, oh, you're still just Zach. Like it doesn't matter. 
like yeah. that's just that's just you You're just going and enjoying yourself and having fun and traveling europe and traveling the world like they're all a bit jealous but you know is what it is they chose their career and i chose mine <laughs> um but yeah and then like outside of that i obviously have massive support from speedo and um mrs reinhardt as well um so gina reinhardt still very lucky that she supports a lot of the australian swim team um and and then speedo is has been a supporter of me since 2018 so the last four years um so yeah they're, they're, i've loved their suits love everything about them and what the brand stands for and did originate down in sydney on bondi beach so Ooh, yeah. it's also like you know that that regard to it so they're the two you know biggest biggest supports i've had over the years and i've got many other support networks but yeah i think they're they're the big two and big keys but outside of that you know i have my performance team that i would call um definitely part of that support network and over the last year especially have really become probably more and more important i think mm -hmm. like you become like the year before the Olympics, we're definitely more connected um, because it's like, it's not, yeah. As I said to someone the other day, it's like in the Olympic year, it's not whether you can do something. It's like, all right, how can you do it? Like it's, it's not, yeah. It just becomes how it's not about whether you can or cannot. It's just do. Um, so for me, that support team really helped me through that and guided me through that. Um, and then after the Olympics, obviously like the come down and, everything like that it's they've also been really supportive through that um and understanding that i need some time and space to work out what i want to do in swimming and how i want to progress in my swimming um so yeah like that's that's an integral part because obviously like you know you're spending 35 hours a week with a lot of them um so that's really important as well like we've got a few rapid fire questions for you before we let you go Easy. what's the hardest race in swimming <laughs> Or I'd say the four or the 800 free. If you had to pick one, Olympic gold, world champ, world record, or Commonwealth champ? Uh, Olympics. Do you pee in the pool? Yes, always. There's two types of people. People that pee in the pool and say they pee in the pool and people that pee in the pool and don't say they pee in the pool. <laughs> who's, who's funnier, Zach and Serdy or Zach Stubbley Cook? Serdy. <laughs> what's the uh what's the best and worst british food you've experienced uh since being there uh, all into 24 hours i well i actually had like greek for lunch so <laughs> i haven't really experienced british food we'll avoid it uh what what number aussie uh olympian are you and do you have the tattoo what's your dolphin number um i have the swimmer number tattooed so the australian swim team number so i'm number 794 so I have it on my arm here. Who was who was number one? Freddie Lane. Mm. Who he was our first Olympic swimming gold medal, and he won in Paris. Is he have the number one tattoo? No, well, it was nineteen oh eight or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of tattoos then. <laughs> yeah, um, maybe for different reasons. <laughs> do you think? Will someone take the world record under two minutes in your lifetime? Uh, I don't think in my lifetime, but I think it's possible. Uh, 
All Aussies seem to have nicknames. I don't know what it is, but everybody seems to have a nickname. Or, <laughs> they, or the name has to end in IE. So, <laughs> yeah, we're lazy. <laughs> uh, everyone just calls each other by like their last names a lot of the time. Like, that's just the thing. So, Aussies what's yours? Do. That's tough. Is it Stubbly Cook? Everyone just calls me Stubble like, or Stubbletty. But Zach's actually my nickname too, which is. Because my Isaac. actual name's Isaac, so like, right. <laughs> yeah. Amount of two nicknames. All right. Yeah. How often do you how often do you do social kick in practice? Probably never. Not with Vince. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe once in a blue moon. It's unreal. So this is your greatest social kick of all time today. Yeah. <laughs> the only social kick you've had. Yeah. We'll it's very rare. Game. It's well, normally Zach, yeah. like. The only time we get social kick is like if he has to run off to like an appointment or a meeting and like we have to finish off the case and we'll like like do the last 800 and be like, oh, you want to kick? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. the best kind. Yeah. Um, cool, man. Well, enjoy the rest of the taper and prep. Um, look forward to watching your race. Glad you're uh, able to race up front of the schedule. Agree. That's amazing. So, um, and uh, yeah, good luck with the rest of, of the season and the time off after that. And um Look forward to watching you take the world record even lower and um, keep picking tail, man. Thanks for spending the time. Too easy. Thank you, guys. Thanks, guys, for having me. All right. Yeah. Cheers. That's it for uh, this episode of Social Kick, and we'll see you next time. Hey, everybody. Thanks for hanging out with us. If you're enjoying Social Kick, tell your friends about it, and be sure to tell us what you liked by leaving a comment and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Instagram. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel, The Social Kick, and you can find all of our content on our website.